Oh, hi, everybody. Ezra Levan is my name. They call me the Rebel Commander. And by they, I'm not quite sure. No one actually does that. They just say Ezra. I am the president of the Rebel News, and I like to be part of the live stream. I used to do them every single day for an hour, but then I got busy. So I'm trying to get back to my roots. That's what this is. I'm kidding around. It's nice to be here. We have great talent for you all the time. I mean, one of my favorite people, Sheila Gunn-Reed. Uh, who else is on the show today? We've got Sheila. And, you know, every day we've got a, we got a different mix of talent. I, I want to show you a few uh, a few things that I follow um, online. Uh, tweets. Tw that's how I get most of my news. I mean, I, I really don't subscribe to any newspaper other than the Epoch Times, which I highly recommend, by the way. Um, I just want to show you a few things that pop up on my feed that I think are newsworthy. Um, I'm going to start with Justin Trudeau, who you know when he goes overseas, diplomatic incidents will follow. Sometimes they're atrocious, like when he went to India. I think he, going from memory, he went for eight days, seven of which was a vacation, and he brought his tickle trunk of costumes. You know, I remember when I was a kid, my, my, my parents had this little chest. It was really fun because it was like an old-timey pirate's chest kind of thing. And those were the Halloween costumes. And you could look in there and dig around. And it was, it was a very, I don't think we called it the tickle trunk. I don't even know what that word means. But it was like just a trunk, you know, like a big box with a lid. I think Trudeau has so many costumes. I think he has like a walk-in closet at home. I think he's got like his regular clothes closet. And then he's got like a costume section where he has, you know, hidden away now is his blackface gear. He doesn't use that anymore. But he'll dress up in a, is it called a sari? No, I'm not sure what it's called. He'll dress up um, as if he is, in this case, uh, a devout Sikh. We've seen, seen him dress in a Muslim abaya like he's a desert Bedouin. We've seen him uh, dress up. I mean, it reminds me of Zelig, that old Woody Allen movie, where the, the main character after which the movie is named, you know, if he's with black people, suddenly his skin is black. If he's with Orthodox Jews, suddenly he's wearing the big hat and he has, uh, you know, curly hair. It's just, that's Justin Trudeau. He's an actor. So I think we've got to be lucky that when he, when he went to London for the Queen's funeral, at least he didn't dress up like a beefeater with those big hats. At least he didn't, you know, wear a kilt or something. At least he didn't go around doing a British accent. I mean, when he was India and did namaste everywhere, it was super cringe. And I think it actually damaged our relationship with the world's largest democracy. But you knew in your bones that he would embarrass you. You knew it. I mean, when Justin Trudeau was new on the scene in 2015, his opening line, his party trick, like the guy's a bunch of party tricks. But if once you've seen them, it's, it's not fun anymore. Like um, his socks. Hey, look, I got socks. I'm going to go to a NATO meeting, and I'm going to be the only leader of the NATO meeting talking about my socks. And it's going to be so childish, ch childlike and wonderful, and people will be so impressed that I'm really real. Okay, so you do the socks thing once. And he has little tricks he does, party tricks, really. But once you've seen it, it is immediately old and stale. Um, so what did he do when he went to the United Kingdom? On the day of mourning, he went there for a funeral, but he brought this huge entourage with him. He brought 
a C-list celebrity. I don't know if you've even heard of her named Sandra O. Oh. You brought, you just brought a celebrity along, but not even a celebrity. Like Sandra O oh is a celebrity. She's not. I mean, I, I guess I've heard her. Like, do you even know who I'm talking about? P can you put a picture of Sandra O oh on the screen? I don't think anyone knows who I'm talking about. What is, is she a well-known monarchist? Did she serve in some high station where she had a lot of interactions with the queen? Like, like I, I know that Stephen Harper went and some of the past prime ministers went, and that's, that's great. But there's Sandra O. Oh. She's a C-list actress. I don't know if she's even working anymore. Um, that's, that's who you took to, why? Just because you're lonely? Because, I don't know, because your wife isn't really hanging out with you or something? Why would you bring Sandra O oh with you? I don't know. Um, I think he just wanted a celeb and no one else would go or, or everyone else charged too much. And maybe Sandra O oh said, sure, I'll come along for free, free ride, free hotel, free food or something. So he brought this entourage and he's obviously bored because Trudeau doesn't give a damn about the monarchy. Of course, he doesn't care about anything other than himself. Uh, I think, in fact, um, I would say he could do well in a mascot type job like governor general, except for that's not true. Because the chief aspect of being a royal or the governor general, lieutenant governor, which are lieutenant governor, which are the deputies of the, the queen, is service and duty. It's not actually um, posing for, for photos. The chief duties of a queen or a king are service and duty and putting others first. Justin Trudeau has none of that in him. So there he is in London. Sandra O. Oh, has gone to hang out with her real friends. She's abandoned Trudeau. He's in his hotel lobby. I don't know how many thousands of dollars a night um, for the whole entourage. And, um, you know, he wants to blow off some steam, but instead of being in his room, he goes down to the hotel bar and he becomes a dramatic actor. I showed you this the other day. Just play a clip of it. You know, he's not quite as good as he thinks he is. Um, but that's the thing about if you're in power, if you have wealth, everyone around you says, that's really good. That, no, no, seriously. I'm not just saying that because you're the prime minister and my boss and you were my free meal ticket here. I'm not just saying that. No, that was really good. That was really good. You know, if you're ever not the prime minister again, I think you would really have a... I mean, Sandra O. Agree oh, Sandra O's not here. Where'd she go? Where'd she go? Come on, Sandra. So this was held up in Canada because the song is Bohemian Rhapsody from Queen. Get it? Get it? So uh, the state media in Canada said, oh, it was his tribute to Queen Elizabeth. Yeah, uh, going down to the bar in a T-shirt and singing Queen songs as a dramatic actor, that's your tribute to the Queen? I mean, could you be more North Korean in your style of journalism? But the British media weren't having it. Do you have that Daily Mail story? Um, the Daily Mail, which is one of my favorite papers, it's one of the most candid papers out there, uh, one of the most popular papers, I think it's got one there, and their online website, one of the largest circulation in the world. You know, here we are in Canada, and we literally, yeah, that's the one. Drunk Canadian PM is slammed as a tone-deaf embarrassment for singing Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody at London Hotel before Elizabeth II's state funeral. 
uh, wearing a casual T-shirt. Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau was seeing, um, standing over a piano doing a sing-along with other members of his formal delegation at the Central London Hotel. Trudeau was heard hitting the infamous notes during the jollity, that's a great word, along with the lyrics, easy come, easy go. <laughs> the sing-song happened on Saturday night at London's swanky Corinthia Hotel, just two days before billions tuned in to watch Queen Elizabeth II's funeral at Westminster Abbey on Monday morning. Oh, this is interesting. It's understood that Gregory Charles, a renowned musician from Quebec, was playing the keys while others joined in the tune on Saturday night. So did he bring, like, who didn't he bring? Was this another million-dollar junket? You know, we've done stories before about how much money he spends on booze alone. Some of those planes have $50,000 worth of food and drink on them. 50000 how? 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 Does everyone get a bottle of Dom Perignon or something? Unbelievable. Uh, but completely believable. And so it's uh, also believable that um, after the story circulated, Trudeau was heckled on the streets of, of London. Here, I'll play a clip of that. I don't think you'll see this on the CBC. Take a look. Canadian Prime. Well, there you have it, uh, Justin Trudeau making friends wherever he goes. Like I say, an international incident, he simply can't go out with making a fool of himself. And unfortunately, because we're associated with him, uh, he makes a fool out of us as well. Um, I'm keeping my eye on the clock here. I, I want to talk about something. And Olivia, I don't know if you have a, a chance to find it. Uh, the video of Jagmeet Singh when Rebel News asked him questions at the 2021 leadership debate. But let me tell you what makes me think of that, because that was two a year and a half ago. Um, Jagmeet Singh, the um, submissive leader of the NDP, is that, is that an oxymoron? You're a leader, but you couldn't be more submissive to Justin Trudeau. I mean, he literally will do anything Trudeau asks of him, which is necessary because Trudeau would not have a government without, without Jagmeet Singh's total submission. Um, so Jagmeet Singh said that Pierre Polyev uh, should be ashamed of himself um, for not taking questions in the form of heckles from David Aiken, a government broadcaster. Uh, and that shows that Pierre Polyev is weak. Let's play this in order. Let's start with the David Aiken heckle. Can we show the David Aiken heckle just to remind people what we're talking about? Then let's show Jagmeet Singh's lecture today. And then let's show a flashback to when Jagmeet Singh stood there dumbly and refused to answer our questions when we posed them to him in the election. Yeah, so that's the one there. Pump this up. Just show people David Aiken heckling Pierre Polyev. This is incredible. Take a look. Appreciate it. Uh, appreciate your presence here today. 
Uh, before I begin, let me just say that. Thank you very much. Am I being I'm being heckled here by 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 the by? Thank you very much for your congratulation. Thank you very much for your questions. I'm going to begin my remarks now. Justin Trudeau is out of touch, and Canadians are out of money. The cost of government is driving up the cost of living. A half a trillion dollars of inflationary deficits have bid up the cost of the goods we buy and the, and the interest that Canadians pay. The cost for workers and businesses to produce the goods that we buy. On top of that, Trudeau proposes yet more spending to bid up costs Trudeau even further. The more things, the more he spends, the more things cost. It is just inflation. Their homes, and to buy a home in the very first place. The reason that, the, look. Yep. So I mean, we, we, we have we we have uh, basically a, a liberal heckler who snuck in here today to. Well, are you going to let you me make my mistake? From the guy who actually reported yeah. first on the prime minister breaking the law. Yeah. Are you going to we let me make like my mistake? Ask a question. Say, yes, I've so never, I've actually never seen you heckling the prime I've minister. Before. Ask Minister never Baird back heckling in the, day. the prime minister. Look, bottom line is this. I'm going to take some questions at the end of this statement. Yes, I'm taking. I'll be taking two questions at the very end. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. The so I'm going to start my statement again. I've really never seen anything like that. Uh, I just never have seen anything like that. Uh, if a rebel news reporter had done that, they would have been tasered and ex ex escorted out by the RCMP. But of course, a rebel news reporter, A, wouldn't do anything like that. And B, rebel news reporters are kept out of the parliamentary precincts by David Aiken and the cartel in the media party. They refuse to allow us uh, accreditation into parliament. So that is video number one. David Aiken being a bizarre heckler. I just have never seen that before. Um, video number two is Jagmeet Singh. He's appalled. He can't believe it. And uh, so he lectured um, Pierre Polyev for not being, for how dare you, sir? How dare you call David Aiken a heckler? That wasn't heckling. Here, take a look. You know, I, I watched the, the, the video and, uh, you know, from one perspective, it sounded like someone was interrupting him. And then when I saw the, the cutaway, and this is an important thing for people to do, sometimes you, you see one view and it looks like, okay, maybe it was uh, maybe it was some heckling. And then I saw the full view of what happened and it was just a question, are you going to take questions or why aren't you taking questions? And it seemed a pretty normal thing, something that's happened to me before, people Asked if I'm going to take questions. It seems like a pretty standard thing if I'm going to come before um, a group of folks, professionals, whose job it is to, to write um, the news, that they're going to ask me some questions about my positions. I kind of expect that. And the fact that instead of taking questions or saying, no, I'm not going to take questions, simple answer, uh, to, to make it into an attack um, seemed a bit uh, weak as a, as a response. Like, why not just say no or say, yeah, I'll take questions. And so it seemed like a bit of a weak approach to then somehow make it into someone's politis partisan political position. And I think it's a, an example of a, of a lack of the strength to be able to, to be able to stand up and say what you want and, and defend your position. Yeah, so Jagmeet Singh, I mean, he, he, he's not weak. 
Definitely not. He's definitely a top in his relationship with Justin Trudeau. He's not being submissive at all. I mean, he's a very strong man. And if someone asks him tough questions, he, he's got the courage to answer it. Um, let me show you when our Rebel News reporters were at the last leadership debate, and we were only in there, like I say, not because the media party accredited us or Trudeau, but because we went to the Federal Court of Canada and said they're discriminating against us because we're conservative. And the court said, yeah, there's no reason that you should be let out. And they ordered the debate commission to accredit our people. Look at the cowardly lion, Jagmeet Singh, the same guy who just said, oh, Pierre Polly, why are you so weak? Why are you so scared? Why don't you talk to them? Here's Jagmeet Singh when we asked him questions. Take a look. Alexandra pour Rebel News. Historiquement, le NPD s'est opposé aux grandes sociétés pharmaceutiques et aux sociétés milliardaires qui se sont enrichies grâce aux blocages comme Amazon et Walmart. Et le NPD était très attentif aux libertés civiles, y compris en étant pro-choix sous son propre corps. Pourquoi avez-vous embrassé les milliardaires de Big Pharma et abandonné votre philosophie de pro-choix? Euh, merci, mais je ne réponds pas aux questions de Rebel News. Merci. Est-ce que vous pensez que euh, c'est une option de ne pas répondre à un média juste parce que le fait que vous ne nous aimez pas? Nous devons... Merci beaucoup. La question est de Rebel News. Before you tell me that you're not going to answer my question, I just want to say that I'm not here representing myself or my company. I'm here representing millions of Canadians who have real questions for you, like the one my colleague Alexa just asked. People who you would marginalize. Is your message to them that they are second-class citizens? Not at all. Sorry. Mr. Singh, the polls show that your party is between 15 and 20 percent. No party here on the stage tonight is even close to representing a majority of Canadians. This is an absolute divided country. Yet when conservative journalists like me ask you fair questions on behalf of Canadians, you insult us and refuse to answer a single word. You are like a child putting your hands over your ears. Do you really think you can become prime minister by trying to freeze out any Canadian who disagrees with you? In your own writing, You only got 38% of the vote. Is this how you treat the other 62% of people who disagree with you? No. Thanks so much. Well, good for those ladies of Rebel News. And what a fool Jagmeet Singh is. You know, the word dumb, you call someone dumb. That's just a childish insult. But uh, 100 years ago, the word dumb was more a medical term or it was a condition where you couldn't speak. To strike so someone would be deaf and dumb. Deaf, they couldn't hear. Dumb, they couldn't speak. It, we don't really say that word anymore. Um, but he is dumb in both senses of the word. He doesn't know how to handle three intelligent women asking independent questions. And he thinks it's just sort of smiling dumbly. <laughs> no, no, I'm just not going to talk to Rebel News. Uh, pretty embarrassing. I thought Sheila's points were spot on. Actually, all, all three of the journalists did a great job. I'm going to get out of the chair now because I see my friend Tamara Ugolini on standby. And uh, she put a great question to Justin Trudeau, who gave the same dumb answer. And I want to tell you this. We're not going to be stopped from asking our real questions. By the way, what, what David Aiken did was not asking questions. It was heckling and interrupting a speech. We don't, we don't actually do that. 
at Rebelness. We ask real questions, as you saw there. And I have no doubt that in the next election, when Rebel News applies for accreditation, I have no doubt that Trudeau's handpicked debates commission will ban us again. And I also have no doubt that we will go to court again and that we will win three, three for three. And this time, I think I myself might attend. And um, Justin Trudeau and Jagmeet Singh, they answer two politicians. They, they, sorry, they answer two journalists. Journalists don't have to answer to them. We don't have to explain ourselves to them. We don't have to justify ourselves to them. Those cowards have to answer our questions. We're going to keep asking them. Enough ranting for me. Let me quickly talk about two super chats, and then I'll get out of the way as my friend Tamara, and I think Sheila's on today too. Um, super chats. Just going to try and find those, and then I'll get out of the way here. Canadian Mom 1997 says, Ezra, can you address this out of Israel and the jabs? They are caught on audio filming their cover-up. I'm sorry, I don't know the news you're referring to, so I don't know the clip or the audio. Maybe um, the, the rebels who, who will follow me in, in a minute have an answer to that. Uh, and then Alberta Dawn says, Muslim Association demanded the Alberta Human Rights Commission, uh, Commission of Human Rights, be fired for one sentence in a 13-year-old book review. Tyler Shandro fires the commissioner with basically no investigation. What next? I'm slightly familiar with this story. Um, I would imagine that there's a wrongful dismissal suit there. Um, Tyler Shandro, I'm shocked that he's still in cabinet. I think he's a great disgrace. Uh, I know him mainly for being the health minister uh, who, I, I'm not, you're not going to believe what I'm about to say. During the pandemic, he shut down ICU beds in Alberta. Everyone else in the world was trying to add intensive care unit beds. Tyler Shandro, the moron of the prairie, was closing them, was reducing the number of beds. And you could say, is he that stupid? Is he that incompetent? Or if you were really paranoid, you might say, he's trying to maintain a sense of crisis. He's trying to be able to say, oh my God, we're being overwhelmed. Yeah, that's because you just shut down 30 ICU beds, you absolute maroon, Tyler Shadow. I'm going to go do some work, but let me hand over the reins to, to Mary Eugeline. And I think Sheila's on today. We'll have a quick ad while we do a quick change, and I'll hand you over to my friends. So see you later. Other than your friends at Rebel News, who are the best journalists in Canada? Well, obviously, it's Rex Murphy and Conrad Black. They're amazing. Conrad Black, the founder of the National Post and its lead columnist, Rex Murphy, one of the wisest and funniest conservative critics in the country. Oh, I love both of those guys. Imagine spending dinner with not one, but both of them. Well, you can, or even just come to a discussion between the two men. Here's what I'm talking about. On September 22nd, the Democracy Fund is hosting an amazing evening with Conrad Black and Rex Murphy. It's going to start out with a wine and cheese reception. Then it's going to have the two men in conversation for 90 minutes. And then afterwards, for those who like, a private dinner with Conrad Black and Rex Murphy, and I'll be there too. And I don't know, I'm, I'm excited about it. There is going to be a lot of intellectual horsepower there. Uh, and two fascinating guys. If you're interested, you can find out all the details at the link below or at the democracyfund.ca slash events. The prices start at just 11 bucks. If you're not in the Toronto area, you can watch online on Zoom the conversation. 
If you are in the Toronto area, come on out. You can buy a ticket just for the conversation between the two men. They're on stage. You can get a ticket for the wine and cheese beforehand or come to the sit-down dinner afterwards, sort of the after-party with Rex Murphy and Conrad Black, and I will be there. Apologies if I'm a uh, deterrent for you buying a ticket. I'm kidding around. It's going to be a great night. I'll see you there. September 22nd, the Democracy Fund. Find out more at thedemocracyfund.ca slash events or click the link below. Tickets start at 11 bucks and they go up to 250 if you want that sit-down dinner with Rex and Conrad afterwards. The Democracy Fund, of course, being a CRA-registered charity, so your money goes towards a good cause. All right, we'll see you on September 22nd. That's thedemocracyfund.ca. Come for dinner with Rex Murphy and Conrad Black, and I'll be there too. Go to thedemocracyfund.ca slash events. See you on September 22nd. Tamara, right. how's it going? That was kind of abrupt. I was expecting more of like an out from that uh, ad. But uh, boy, if you want to get smarter just by being in the room with some people, consider getting a ticket to that Democracy Fund event. That is a couple of really, really intelligent guys. Um, Rex Murphy's like a walking, talking uh, it, dictionary. Like you just, the words that he uses and his turn of phrase, it's beautiful. It's lost art. And Conrad Black, he's just a encyclopedia of Canadiana and the Commonwealth. So um, if you've got tickets to that event, good for you because I'm very, very jealous. Uh, Tamara, how's it going though? Uh, you and I get to, uh, we talk throughout the day, but we never like sit down, shoot the breeze and talk about the news. So I'm excited about this. Yeah, same. It was kind of just thrown last minute, as seems to be the way that things unfold sometimes. So likewise, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm excited to uh, sit down and we're, we're a little bit short, right? We only have half an hour, I think, um, yeah. however long we're going to run things. We'll see how quickly we can get through some of the headlines. But um, yeah, definitely feeling that fall weather in the air today. Like it's, it's uh, a little bit breezy over where I am. Breezy. It was like six degrees here yesterday and I had to go work outside and I was like, oh, oh, uh, summer just like it was here last week. And then just like that, it's gone, although it's not snowing. So that's um, uh, different because sometimes we do get snow kind of sometimes even in the first week of September here. So I don't know. Oh, gross. But it's gross. That's why I like to work outside when it's nice. Like I'll take my computer outside and work. Anyways, you did say that we are tight on time. So I should shut up and Sorry. we'll get to the first story of the day. Um, the first one we wanted to talk about, and I think this is right up uh, to Mary Ugolini's alley. She's our uh, COVID statistics nerd. And I mean that in the most affectionate of ways. Um, medical assistance and dying option has been removed from the Saskatchewan Health Authority's 811 healthcare menu. Um, to some, it might imply that suicide is an option, health minister says. Uh, you think? Like, it, it, it actually is an option. The government offers it to you. And um, what the left told us was a, a, a slippery slope fallacy. It's happening. Like, when we said, um, this is a bad idea to be having the government authorize suicide, um, they, we said, oh, it's going to be offered to the mentally ill. Mental illness is going to become a terminal illness. It's going to be offered to the inconvenient, like um, veterans who are experiencing a PTSD episode. Um, but that's happening. Um, and I think it's really ironic that the same governments that have a suicide hotline 
are also on the flip side offering you medical assistance in suicide. Like pick a lane, please, people. Well, and you're also kind of capitalizing and optimizing people who may be in a very vulnerable state of mind and putting this thought and ideation further into their mind. I mean, you know, there's it muddies the water completely with ethics. And I also found it really interesting in this particular article that it was after Maxime Bernier featured a recording of what the various options were when you call 811 on the Saskatchewan Health Authorities um, hotline. So, you know, it's like press one for COVID related illness stuff or press two for poison control or if you need a, a psychiatric assessment. And then it just is right there. And then potentially in this moment of dire weakness, press five to begin that process to start essentially um, committing suicide. And so <clears throat> I, I just think that there are so many different ways to reinvigorate the healthcare system than uh, pouncing on people who are, again, in the, this state of mental incapacity in many instances, I would imagine. And, and there's so many people who are feeling you know, neglected and abandoned by the medical establishment and our socialized medical system as a whole that they literally think that potentially committing suicide with through this medical assisted dying is a better option than trying to seek appropriate and timely medical care. Yeah, you have a society that is forcibly isolated, very vulnerable people, exacerbating mental health crises. Then we've tossed opioids in on top of that. Um, yeah. In job loss, which is, um, I've seen statistics over the years and it's over and over again. Uh, financial crises are what forces men into uh, suicide. So it's for men, it's not mental illness. It is the depression caused by financial crises. Um, and men commit suicide at a far greater rate than women. So when you see the economic catastrophe of inflation and job loss caused by the pandemic, it's men, vulnerable men who are dialing up this number and saying, you know what, dial five for your lethal injection. Like these people are just um, dogs who have a illness that is a little bit too difficult to treat. Like it, it's just gross how we're treating these people. Um, but this is, as you say, this is the end result of socialized medicine. And then you throw like net zero healthcare on top of this and they're starting to calculate whether or not you're worth the carbon expenditure. Um, so just dial five to uh, meet your maker. Well, and, and also I wanted to touch on the fact that homelessness, you know, the yeah. insane cost of housing and shortage of housing, people have reached out and said things like, you know, I can't find anywhere to live. And so I might as well die. And it's this just not, absolutely insane. This is that this actually happened, I think it was in British Columbia. An elderly yep. lady couldn't find housing. So she's like, you know what? I'm just going to pull the pin. Is this where we've driven people? It's gross. And how better spent would the funding be than on this program, which I imagine is probably a very cost-effective way to, for lack of a better word, unfortunately, call a large part of your population. Um, how better would that funding be spent on things like housing and uh, righting the wrongs of the pandemic, 
response plan and these policies that devastated people's mental health and just contributed, like you already said, to the opioid crisis. Um, just absolutely crazy that the government thinks that this is a more viable option than actually correcting some of the things that are plaguing society. Um, yeah, this should scare the daylights out of the, the boomers, by the way, um, because we've got an aging population yeah. and a collapsing healthcare system. This is meant for you, probably, and not for me and Tamara. So you should be very, very worried. Um, I think they're just going to show, just so you know what's going on, Tamara, that the some of the smaller chats, they're just going to show them on air instead of us stopping to read them in case you have okay. an inclination or desire to stop and read them like I do. I like to read them all, um, but uh, we really don't have time today. Uh, let's hit an ad break and then let's go into this thing that if you want to get punched, punched out by me in public, uh, do this. <laughs> have me catching you do this and I will, uh, you'll be lucky if you get my purse across the side of your head, but um it could be worse for you. Anyway, let's roll that ad break and then we'll talk about that. Well, the remains of 215 children have been found in a mass grave in Canada. Do you wanna get closer to the truth about what was actually buried at Kamloops Indian Residential School last year? So do I. That's why the Rebels are doing a live screening in Calgary at Canyon Meadows Cinemas, and we want you to join us. We'll be there to watch this documentary with you, meet and greet you, and answer any questions that you have. I can't wait to see you. There's more info below. Okido. I'm so excited uh, for that documentary. I'm just—it's uh, wonderful. I, oh. <clears throat> My uh, kids are also um, anxiously waiting. We talked a little bit about you know the, in school they learn about these issues um, front and center, and so we spoke a little bit about how it's not all the truth. So uh, they're going to yeah. actually watch it with me when it's released. The older ones. Yeah. Yeah, the older ones. I, 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 that's one of these things that I think school teaches kids uh, too early about. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. I, I just, I don't know. Anyways, let's move on to this next story because uh, I would... Yeah, deep breaths, uh, Sheila, deep breaths. I would, <laughs> I would be off the rev limiter if somebody did this to me. Um, so in Edmonton, CTV News has a story. Uh, the headline is, Your Gas Guzzler Kills... Oh, we'd be finding out what is dangerous for your health pretty quick if somebody did this to me. Uh, Edmonton woman war finds warning on her SUV along with deflated tires. And this is out of the UK. And you can tell that this is just a UK form letter by the uh, very British way they spell tires. But a vigilante trend of deflating SUV and pickup tires in the name of environmental protection appears to have arrived in Edmonton with one victim calling it frustrating. I would use more colorful language. Um, Brandy Rintoul found two tires on her Honda SUV. So like an economical little SUV, by the way, deflated Sunday along with a note uh, apparently from the tire extinguishers. I would be extinguishing people. Uh, similar flyers have been found on vehicles with deflated tires in Victoria and Kitchener. SUVs are unnecessary. Oh, and pure vanity. Oh, really? The note says we're not, we are taking actions into our own hands because governments and politicians will not. 
Rintoul pumped mm. up her tires and she says she's not changing vehicles, but will probably install security cameras on her home in the McQueen neighborhood. This is the part that gets me. The vandals don't know why people pick the vehicle they drive. It's not necessarily that I picked this because it's a gas guzzler or whatever. My sister and I do a lot of stuff together. Our two families on the weekends and stuff. So one of the reasons I bought this is because it fits her family and mine rather than taking two vehicles to like we take one. So this lady actually carpools. She <laughs> she saves carbon emissions in her SUV. Um, EPS, Edmonton uh, Police Service, did confirm that tires on 13 vehicles were slashed in the Delwood area of Northwest Edmonton on Sunday night. So this is kind of a nicer neighborhood with no reports of any notes being left there. I hope I never see you. Hope I never catch you myself. All I have to say about that says Frank Castelligloni. Sorry, I butchered your name, Frank, but I like your attitude while putting a new rubber on his four by four pickup. If they're just going to let the air out with no damage, go ahead every day. I'll pump it up in the morning, but don't puncture the sidewalls. Um, this, I would be um, difficult to contain myself. Um, I do drive an SUV. I actually have two SUVs. Um, Same. Uh, I have my husband drives a big, huge pickup for work um, because he worked in the oil patch. This is Alberta and farmers. Um, but am I frozen, Tamara? Okay, I've un unfrozen. No, nope, but um, also, I'm also on rural roads. I don't live on pavement. Um, sometimes they don't plow the roads here for days when we get a snowstorm and it's Alberta. Uh, I'm due for a snowstorm yesterday. So I have aggressive tires on the vehicles. My 16 year old daughter drives one of the SUVs. Um, my husband has aggressive tires on his vehicle because he's off on like lease roads in the oil patch. They don't like this lady points out. They don't know why you drive the vehicle that you drive. And this mm -hmm. is a free country, so it's none of these people's businesses. If they want to take their kids to hockey on the front of their handlebars on their stupid bike, that's their business, not mine. But they could have stranded a woman and her small children yesterday or whenever they, these idiots did this. You, Tamara, you have a little guy at home. You have actually a, a gazillion kids at home. Imagine walking Yeah, we have out. a brood. <laughs> Yeah, you do. Uh, so you're walking out and you have your hockey team worth of children and you're trying to get them all into your SUV um, from somewhere. Say you're visiting. They don't know even if this is the homeowner's vehicle, but the vehicle, the tires are slashed. It Now it's hot, not in Alberta, but it could have been when they did this earlier in the summer. Um, and you've got a little, little ones, hot, you can't get them home. And not only that, they've just handed a family that they don't know their economic situation. They just know the car that they think they drive. They've just handed mm -hmm. these people a very expensive bill. I admit I have expensive, aggressive tires on my vehicle. That, partly because I like how they look, but partly out of necessity. And so if someone walks out and slashes my tires, not only is it difficult for me now to get a matching tire to replace that, but it's a huge cost that a family doesn't need. But these people, oh, by the way, throwing tires in the tire pile down at the dump, that's your solution yep. to fighting climate change. Good job, guys. Good job. Mother Nature, That was going you. to be my exact point, is that this is so wasteful, and you want to talk about carbon emissions. Well, how much more emissions now are you using to replace that tire that was perfectly fine and all all good to, to be used for however, however more uh, length of time. And now you're just having to bring on a new tire and waste resources to 
to replace what these people have just in their own self loathing, probably um, decided to just arbitrarily go around and vandalize people's property. I mean, for us, we have an SUV because it fits everyone in together. And yeah, if we didn't have an SUV, we would have to take two vehicles just to fit everyone into the vehicle. We've actually maxed out our seating capacity. So I'm like, <laughs> do we need a bus? Because by the time you load a stroller in there, any sort of cargo, lunch pails, bags, there isn't much room left actually in our uh, large SUV. We have a, a seven seater. And so I wonder if families start driving, you know, the large families start driving buses around. Or what about, for instance, even if you go to the farmer's market, there's farmers there that have their cube vans and they're driving around all of their produce and they're feeding the local community. I mean, what, what spares them from being the next target of these climate radicals? It's, this is, these are really people who have been radicalized by the climate alarmism trying to take matters into their own hands with no real understanding of what they're actually doing and how this actually negatively impacts the environment when you have to purchase new tires when your other ones were perfectly fine. Yeah, this is Canada. We're very sparsely populated. We're very spread out. I kind of like it that way. I don't like these compacted cities where people are stacked on top of each other. I don't think that's good for human health. Um, but these people don't realize that most of us don't live on a bike path. Like I have kids. Uh, if I walk past a Costco, $400 just jumps out of my wallet and groceries yeah. appear in my trunk. And so, and I live to get a jug of milk. It's like a 40 minute round trip for me to the local corner store, local corner store. I need a vehicle that's reliable. I can't live the bike lifestyle. I have children. I am not one of these self-sterilizing environmentalists. I like my kids. I like having my kids. I complain about driving them places all the time, but I kind of like it. Um, what a, just a horrible life that you would go around judging people's moral character based on the size of the vehicle they drive. That's all you know about them, but you've decided they are climate killers. And just uh, ignorance as well, just to think that everyone lives the same way that you might live in the city, in an apartment, in a complex. But yeah, that rural living is is a huge, massive part of the Canadian population. And for myself as well, I mean, my kids catch a bus to school in the morning and I even have to drive them to the bus because it's not just <laughs> out front of our house because of the way that, uh, you know, houses are laid out in the more rural setting. And I'm not even that rural, but we have lived previously, you know, 45 minutes out from a grocery store and on those back roads that are dirt gravel roads that aren't plowed, like you said, for a few days after a large snowstorm. So how else do you expect people to get to and from their necessities when that's just the nature of the country that we live in? Uh, this is also just feigned ignorance that they don't, they can't recognize that some people have different necessities and needs uh, than, than their own. It's interesting, you know, they want you to shop local and eat local and then they slash the tires of your local farmer like it's just, it's just ridiculous um let's move on to this next thing because it is on the same vein and again perfect because as i said on twitter the heart wants what the heart wants and in this case uh his heart wanted meat and uh he should have admitted to that so the beyond meat chief operating officer was in 
was arrested for biting a man's nose. The fake meat executive, okay, whoever wrote this, good job. Uh, The fake meat executive was arrested for ripping the flesh off a Subaru owner's nose following a college football game in Fayetteville. Uh, Beyond Meat Chief Operating Officer and former Tyson Foods Executive Safety Council member. This He's on the Safety Council. He's <clears throat> biting people's noses. Uh, Doug Ramsey, 53, is arrested sem- uh, September 17th on charges of terroristic threatening and third-degree battering. Um, it happened in a parking garage near Razorback Stadium shortly after Arkansas beat Missouri State 38-27. to I like how we put the... the uh, score in there. Um, so anyway, um, it's basically a road rage incident that ended up with the, uh, COO biting the man's face. And, um, I just thought, you know, that's a pretty carnivore thing to do. Um, and I mean, the situation is is this, what all that like beyond meat sausage does to you? I hope not drives you crazy and makes you want to, I guess, indulge in, in your fellow humans. I, I think that the whole situation obviously escalated very quickly. I mean, to just be in some minor altercation in a parking garage to all of a sudden you're drawing blood and eating flesh. I I can't even you slash my them. tires and I might get like that though. You slash my tires and I might bite your face off. Um, but also the- I noticed, sorry, go ahead. No, yeah. I mean, I'm just going to to reiterate the fact that this person is a former executive safety council member. I mean, that is very concerning and alarming that this person apparently who's supposed to be or previously in charge of of health and safety uh, is going around biting. Like how unhinged do you have to become and be internally to bite someone's nose off? Oh, it just it reminds me of that. What was it where that man on that overpass? I think it was somewhere in the States, remember? Yeah, Yeah. the bath salt phenomenon. Oh, it just reminds me of that to a lesser extent. And it's really just gross and creepy. And what kind of person would go about doing something like this? I I guess when that's what the Beyond Meat Burgers do to one's uh, inner cravings. I noticed in here, there's a little bit of hypocrisy and it sort of ties back into the last thing. Because a lot of the reasons they want us to eat this like fake meat... Um, is, well, partly for the animals. So you're supposed to sacrifice your your human health for the animal health. No, thanks. I'm the top of the food chain. My family is most important to me. We're going to eat the animal. Um, But secondarily, they say, oh, it's better for the environment. Animal agriculture is is bad for the environment, to to which I say, okay, so just like mowing down swaths of the rainforest to plant your kale, that's good for the environment. Okay. But anyway, they say one of the reasons Beyond Meat markets itself to people to eat their um, processed garbage is because it's good for the environment. But as you'll note here, Ramsey, the nose biter, owns a Bronco. You know what? Fine vehicle choice. I'm a little jealous, Um, but that's an SUV and not, I, I don't think he was driving the sport edition. I bet he's got the big boy again good for him. But um, I'm reliably told by the environmentalist movement that I'm supposed to eat this Beyond Meat garbage um, to save the planet. And here we have the COO, the deranged nose-biting COO, allegedly, is driving a Bronco. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, that's a really good point. You brought up something I I didn't myself uh, notice. But there's just, when you look a little bit deeper beyond the surface, these hypocrisies are glaring. 
And uh, I'm so glad that you pointed that out because how perfectly fitting in with the narrative that all the globetrotters and the ones who want to instill their rules onto the little guys are at the same point in time just flouting them. Uh, you know, this, me and these. I hope this person gets so help. Different. Yeah, we're not so different after all. The more I think about it, I'm like, okay, so you have an SUV. You also like to uh, chew meat. Me too. <laughs> um, and you got a little anxious when somebody got too close to your vehicle. Now, I wouldn't have gone to, as far as overreacting, but um, I feel like this guy could be a bit of a kindred spirit if he weren't trying to snow people by tricking them into eating highly processed nutritionally deficient garbage um and assaulting people in a parking lot but i feel like we have some things in common um maybe we should go to the ad break before yes. i try um some of that beyond meat sausage um let's hit the ad break and then we'll go to um this latest uh story about uh covid grievances in alberta hey folks check out the newest arrival to the rebel news store yes f is for Fidel, and F is for father? I mean, could it be? Yes, it, half this photo, the colored half, is Justin Trudeau. The black and white half is a young Fidel Castro. Wait now, or is it vice versa? It's so confusing. I'm a huge Forensic Files fan. Wouldn't it be great if we could have a piece of Justin's DNA and a piece of Fidel's DNA and put the rumor to bed once and for all but in the meantime we'll just have to walk around wearing this shirt hinting at a great canadian conspiracy or is it in any event if you want to get this shirt folks go to the rebel news store and check this out type in our new discount code that summer s-u-m-m-e-r and if you buy two unisex t-shirts get an additional one for free what a deal like i said justin trudeau fidel castro as they used to say on the abc detergent ads can you tell the difference i can't tell the difference <laughs> i think Every we have to end that summer code we're going to uh we're going to be changing that i think to the fall so yeah hurry up yeah, and get it while supplies last uh, every time he cuts to that X-Files music, I burst out laughing. I don't know why. I know it's coming. I'm waiting for it, but I just can't contain it. It's just so funny. Um, let's move on to this uh, latest story. It's in the Edmonton Journal, but it's a reprint from the National Post because in Alberta, um, our media landscape is completely homogenous, save for us and the Western Standard. Um so COVID-19 grievances, conspiracy theories drove extremist narratives in Alberta, Canada, says CSIS. Okay, so there's a difference between extremist narratives and extremist mm -hmm. violence. And one is a thing that you think and one is a thing that you do. And this feels like thought crimes. But anyway, uh, grievances and conspiracy theories related to the COVID-19 pandemic continue to drive ideologically motivated, violent extremist narratives. You notice they don't say acts or violence they just you're you're guilty of thinking things um and justifications for political violence um but there hasn't been political violence at least yeah. from the 
the so-called COVID conspiracy theorists, people who think maybe vaccines don't stop the spread, like, or maybe your mask, mask doesn't work and CSIS is like extremist. Um, but anyways, it goes on to say Canada's National Intelligence Agency doing the hard work of turning their um, <laughs> focus on to uh, grandmothers who want to see their grandkids and want to go to church um, cited COVID-19 grievances and conspiracy theories are driving extremist narratives throughout Alberta and Canada, blah, 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 blah. Let's go ahead. The documents from the Canadian security intelligence service marked as top secret. I feel like mm -hmm. this is for a stunt and for Canadian eyes only were acquired via an access to information request for terrorist threat assessments in Alberta between March, 2020 and January, 2022. Uh, these people redact everything right down to names on, and email addresses, pages and pages of innocuous garbage. They redact just to annoy me. And they're going to hand over willingly things that say top secret for Canadian eyes only. I don't believe it. They marked this top secret for, um, theater. Anyways, let's keep going. The records show concern. Great. I don't care if politicians are concerned. Uh, records show concern over ideologically motivated violent extremists, particularly around opposition to coronavirus-related public health measures that the agency claimed was driving what it termed anti-government threat environment. This is Alberta. We don't like the government, any government. That's just how we are. We are ungovernable. That's not ideologically motivated terrorism it's the ethos of the place in which i live it's why we live here it's why people move here grievances oh so grievances so being annoyed that's also they obviously being annoyed terrorists uh and conspiracy theories again what's a conspiracy theory now except an early adopter of a good idea that's going to turn out to be true in six months uh related to the COVID 19 pandemic continue to drive ideologically motivated extremist narratives in canada and justifications for political violence the report from november 2021 reads names and specific groups and individuals were redacted now i am not all that sure about any ideologically motivated violence related to the COVID-19 pandemic, um, except for the one big notable one, like the convoy didn't commit any violence. Violence was no. committed against the convoy. Uh, they were also smeared and blamed. They had their bank accounts seized. They were treated as terrorists, but they never were. However, there was that guy who allegedly drove his SUV, another SUV driver on the left, um, drove his vehicle into the convoy protesters in Winnipeg. And clipped mm -hmm. off a bunch of them. Why? Obviously radicalized by the mainstream media and their constant demonization of the convoy as violence. Again, I say, these are people who have been waiting their whole life to punch a Nazi, except they've never actually seen a Nazi because the supply does not meet the demand. And they've never punched anybody in their whole life. So then this is how you take a car. This is how you take a club to people. It's because you know that you are a Nazi fighter, but there just aren't any Nazis. But when the TV tells you that the, oh, those people who disagree with you, they're the Nazis, go get them. They do. And when they do, everybody sort of walks away from their responsibility in, in creating these crypto Nazis that don't exist. And then blames the people who were attacked for the act of violence that was perpetrated by the media and elected officials against them. And, and I, I found it interesting here that the only um, actual violence that's sourced in this article is 
well, they stress a need for heightened security for public officials, citing the murder of British MP David Amos, who was fatally stabbed during an open availability with constituents on, on October 15th, 2021. I'm not at all familiar with that case. This is actually the first time that I have heard about this. Um, but I, again, I have to reiterate that the thought crime and questioning the government and having your elected representatives not actually represent you in the house or at Queens park or in their elected, um, statute state, the places where they're elected to represent the people when they fail to do that job, that's when people get increasingly upset and start to question and wonder and push back against here we've seen with COVID the narrative quote unquote. And um, so this is the, the politicians own shortfallings is that they failed to adequately represent their constituents and bring their concerns forward and represent them in the house. And when they get upset and frustrated and start to voice that and heckle and, and meet them out at, at places where they may be frequenting and, and yell at them, then all of a sudden this is like ideologically motivated violent extremism. No, these are yeah. just frustrated people trying to be heard after being ignored and disregarded for the better part of two plus years. Yeah, there's a, a crazy line in here. It says, we assess that some anti-authority, oh, that's illegal now? You're going to be arrest all the teenagers then, I guess. Um, we assess that some anti-authority and anti-government uh, ideologically motivated violence adherence, adherence. So they don't say perpetrators, they say adherence. People, these are just people who are anti authority in Canada will attempt to use public health restrictions to incite others to violence. Now, I read that and I say, yeah, you did. You incited people to assault Maxime Bernier. So the, the weaponization of the COVID restrictions was done through the fear of telling people that if you see somebody who isn't following the stupid arrows on the floor of the grocery store, they are grandma killers. And what would you do if someone were trying to kill your grandma? Well, I would, I would, you know what? Uh, I might get a little violent if someone were trying to kill my grandma. And so these people end up being radicalized by the TV and the rhetoric and the demonization, they're the ones committing violence, not the other side where the people are like, um, I just want to be left alone. That I'm anti-authority because please leave me alone. Those people are not the radicals. It's the ones who are, for example, throwing eggs at Maxine Bernier. And I think mm -hmm. it's very interesting that that happened in September of 2021. But that violence against Bernier is not cited in this November 2021 report from CSIS. The worst they could find, because they weren't looking, was violence that happened to a politician in the UK for some reason. They skipped right over the violence happening to politicians in Canada, because it doesn't fit the narrative, because the wrong people were doing it. Yeah, they had to they had to search really hard for that one instance too. It sounds like, um, and I, I would I'm going to look a little bit further into what exactly transpired there. But I imagine not to justify that you know that's that's very extreme, and I would never condone or justify any of that. But 
you know, how was this was was this a case where this gentleman was no longer representing his constituents? And um, I think that politically that has to be called out more, you know, not taking and being a violent violent, but calling out and recognizing, you know, hey, I was wrong and admit the wrongdoings and the shortfallings of what you have done politically. We see politicians just skirting issues 24 seven, not taking any accountability. And that's when people start to get frustrated and fed up and, uh, and, and it ends up radicalizing individuals. But as you've said, Sheila, it's, it's the other side though, when it's constant fear purveying from the media and the politicians and they all pile on and radicalize they, if you see someone not wearing a mask they're a domestic terrorist and we better get yeah. them we've we've decided in this country that bounty castles street cleanups and open air soup kitchens are sedition so it is not a leap for the like i said for these people who have punched nazis in their twitter bio who've never seen a Nazi in their real life say, oh, the TV told me those people are Nazis. Okay, great, I'm going to go hurt them. That's how you get from just a random internet loser to the guy punching you in the grocery store. But the media glosses over the fact that this ideologically motivated violence is coming from the left to the right and not the right to the left. How many people even remember the shooting of Steve Scalise. The man barely survived. Charity baseball game, 2017. We All we heard about was how Donald Trump's rhetoric was going to weaponize people, but it was a Bernie bro who showed up and shot Republican Steve Scalise and almost killed him um, at a baseball game in Virginia. Six people were shot. Nobody ever talks about it. That was ideologically motivated. A Bernie bro shot a Republican and... Steve Scalise has to sit and listen to the Democrats complaining about how the Republicans are weaponizing people to commit violence. Show me where. Show me where. Anyway. Exactly. And this article doesn't do any of that anywhere. Um, so... Okay, let's let's get into our last topic because we're already four minutes over. Yeah. And um, we should get into this one. I know, Olivia, you want to wrap up the show, but we <clears> should <throat> get into this one because I believe this is ours. Well, and because it okay. also shows how much the politicians spread and espouse misinformation, which leads to the frustration of their constituents and their populations. And so in this article, there is a clip here. So so first and foremost, this is about the quarantine hotels that the Canadian government continues to institute uh, for all travelers coming into the country. And they're essentially detention camps. I mean, this reads like a jail system. Um, but in the fall of what was it, 2020, um, the, this was called a conspiracy theory that there was going to be these internment, COVID internment camps and Trudeau uh, spread some rhetoric that he, this is, this is conspiracy theory and this myths and disinformation. The government has to work so hard to conquer it and fight against it. And then lo and behold, here we are, we still have these quarantine hotels happening in Canada at our expense with very little occupancy. So the article itself is titled, uh, Fed's still spending millions on nearly empty COVID-19 quarantine hotels. And it gets into where they're, they're located. So, you know, Kelowna, Montreal, Toronto, Calgary, Edmonton, city centers. 
And the daily room rates range between $49 and $220 per night. So the cost to Canadian taxpayers for the federal government to procure their rooms is likely close to $210,000 per night or just under $1.5 million per week. And uh, toward the bottom of the article, the, uh, the contracts for these quarantine facilities with the federal government began in June 2020. And the contract will remain in place until March 2023. So how is that for conspiracy theory and mis- and disinformation that our overlord, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, tried to discredit this as being? Yeah, these are still in the books for another six months. Um, this the articles from Western Standard, however, um, when they there was a order paper question from not too long ago that said that they were still procuring these. So and we wrote that up here at Revel News. So um I think that was maybe three months ago when we did that. And it was a, a hint that the quarantine restrictions are never going away. Um that's why we have these quarantine hotels, is to comply with the quarantine restrictions and yeah it was like we were told it was conspiracy theory there's no such thing as covid jails until we put uh our alumni alumnus alumni alumnus kian bexty into one uh we sent him out of the country and we put him into the sausage maker of the covid jail system because we wanted to show people um beyond anecdotes what really happens firsthand so we put a journalist through it and um you know that they told us it didn't happen um it was very sciencey by the way i checked it out because i drove to calgary to check out the hotel that kian was in and the first second and fourth floors are just regular hotel so you what's a three-star hotel in Calgary, two and a half star hotel in Calgary, about 170 bucks a night, 155, 170. So that's your room rate on the first, second and fourth floors. But if you're staying in the COVID jail on the third floor where you can't get off unless somebody takes you, um, mm -hmm. it was like an enormous inflated rate up to $2,000 a week, you know? Well, the hotel so, industry also had to make up for the unprecedented shutdown and lockdown that directly affected all of their their, their entire business model. Yep. Yep. So it was, it was just very odd. I, I think it was for some people, they were paying up to $2,000 for three nights in one of these like two and a half star hotels, um, where if you were otherwise um, a, a person who would stay at this hotel, you'd be paying, you know, 150 bucks a night. It was just a well, big I think, scam. Oh, this is yeah, and I meals. think that's under the guise of your meals being provided. And yeah, look at that those meals. And we heard stories of people just being denied their medication while in the, the, the care of these quarantine facilities. They were denied their medication. They didn't actually get any outside times. There were smokers who weren't being allowed out to have cigarette breaks. The food just was looked horrendous. If you even got food, right? There was so many yeah. cases where people weren't even being fed. Um, and, and a quote from this Western Standard article, these it says right here, and this is, tell me that this is not jail. Those staying in the facilities will be, be provided with transportation to the hotels, access to 24-hour support and regular health assessments, 
three meals a day, oh, yeah. Wi-Fi access, and phones for outbound calls, and regular supervised outdoor health breaks. Time in this the is yard, jail. as they call in prison. Yeah, that's yeah. what they call prison. Um, that's time in the yard. And uh, single were, file now. It was like prison right down to the sexual assaults because um, we, there were reports of women who were being sexually assaulted and sexually harassed in these places. Um, and and you're basically confined. You can't get away. It's, yeah, it's absolutely horrendous. And our prime minister just tried to gaslight everyone who tried to sound the alarm on this unfolding, that they were conspiracy theorists spreading myths and disinformation and contributing to um, a demise of trust in our institutions and our democracy. So thank you for that, Justin Trudeau. One more interesting point there, and I like to make it all the time because I covered the uh, COVID jail constitutional challenge. And it came out in that challenge that if you presented yourself at the airport with signs and symptoms of COVID, now you didn't have to test positive, but if you were like, <laughs> or like, I'm hot, I have a fever. Um, and people like me, I don't do well on the tarmac waiting to get off the plane because I'm claustrophobic. So that's when I could like feel my temperature rising. Um, but if you present at the airport with a runny nose or whatever, you did not have to go to the COVID jail. The COVID jails were for healthy people. If you presented at the airport with signs and symptoms of COVID, they told you to get home, get out of the airport immediately and quarantine at home and isolate for 14 days. If you were healthy, you would have to quarantine until your um, COVID test came back like 72 hours later or whatever. So the COVID jails, they were only confining the healthy people by and large at the COVID jail. Secondarily, a lot of people who were healthy who ended up being confined in the COVID jail caught COVID in the jail a lot of times from the uh, people who worked there because there was no testing of the people who worked there. So you're perfectly healthy. You come back to Canada, you're like, no, I'm feeling fine. They're like, oh, no, we have to wait for your results to come back off to the COVID jail where you could catch COVID because you're waiting over there with people who may or may not test positive. In confined close quarters with the shared yeah. HVAC system and no access yeah. to fresh air. So yeah, yeah science. <laughs> yeah, why do you think flu spreads when it gets cold outside? A lot of it has to do with the fact that we're all inside together. Um, and so that's exactly what they did when they were doing this. They're like, okay, well, let's just hold you up all together um, in this place, even though you're perfectly healthy and we'll just see what happens. Hope for the best. <laughs> oh, well, thank you everyone at home for joining us a little bit late. We have two chats over. Oh, we have two, two chats. chats. Yeah, we've got two chats, one from Fraser McBurney, uh, Fight the Fines Recidivist, uh, the most prolific protester in all of Hamilton with an affinity for caps lock uh, because he's excited, not that he's yelling at me. Uh, he gives us six bucks and he says, Freedom Rally from Hamilton. What a wonderful event. Everyone had a good time. The one bad thing that happened was someone used a marker pen on one of my signs. Haha, <laughs> the mess came off with nail polish remover with acetone and the sign lives on. Thank you for your life tips, Razor. <laughs> I noticed only Rebel News covered the rallies. Yes, we did. We're still, we still have reports coming out. Uh, I think we have Alexis coming out today as well. So uh, that's great. And Udabursi or Judabursi, maybe next time, can you uh, in your chat tell me if that's like a why? or a hard J, I'm not sure. But anyways, uh, the problem is that politicians forget that they are elected by the people, for the people, not themselves. Yeah, 
Well, that stuff comes from the top down. That's an attitude set from the top down, I think. Um, I think that's everything now, Tamara. You want to wrap up the show? Yeah. Well, thank you so much for everyone uh, joining us at home. Thank you for your super chats and stay tuned. Join us here again tomorrow. Maybe not us exactly, but some of your favorite rebels. (laughs) We never know (laughs) what's going to happen on the live stream. Uh, So stay tuned again tomorrow, same time and place, and we will see you over there. This tragedy was not a random act of fate. It was the result of a string of failings stretching back more than a decade. The question that Chief Wally Burns asked when he learned about the perpetrator's criminal history should be ringing in the ears of everyone in the House. Quote, why was this guy released when he was so dangerous? I also agree with Brian Burns, whose wife and son were killed when they said, there needs to be some kind of an inquiry. The families need answers. As a husband and a father, I can only imagine the grief that Brian Burns must be feeling today. I can only imagine the sense of deep betrayal he must feel when he thinks about the callous negligence of our criminal justice system that led, let this violent criminal out to recommit offenses again and again, uh, not just in this case, but over more than a decade. This perpetrator, who I am deliberately not naming, had been charged with over 120 crimes in in 47 cases over the last 14 years. He'd been convicted 59 times. Likely more, but his youth record is sealed. At least two of the previous victims, uh, those previous victims were also victims of the most recent violence. His in-laws, Earl Burns, who died, and Joyce Burns, who was wounded. The first time, back in 2015, he was charged with attempted murder, but he was allowed to plead guilty to a lesser offense and was only sentenced to two years less a day in prison. It has also been reported that uh, he assaulted the mother of uh, his, his, his children five times between 2011 and 2018. He never received more than a two-month sentence for any of those assaults. Each time, he was set free to attack again. What happened in northern Saskatchewan two weeks ago should be a national wake-up call. The James Smith Cree Nation was the victim of a violent criminal, but also the victim of a broken criminal justice system. 